Yes, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new Rubbing Muscle podcast. I'm joined by another repeat guest, our first repeat uh, nutritionist. Uh, nutritionist or dietitian? Um, you could, it's technically dietitian, but That's you can say thought, diet, nutritionist. Diet, yeah. diet, dietitian puts you above nutritionist. I know nutritionist is also what you do, but um, yes. anyway, it's Marie Spano. <laughs> How are you doing, Marie? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me be the first, the very first repeat dietitian nutritionist. Um, it's an honor, and I'm so excited to talk to you today and uh, go into everything pandemic and everything nutrition with athletes. Yeah. Um, the last episode was like really well received. I think what it was was it's, you know, people get more and more confused time and time again with nutrition information. And I think, you know, when we think we've, we've helped enough people you know and that the exact same amount of people that haven't been helped then reappear that are just get, you know they get also get spoon-fed more bs and it's sort of it's like almost uh there's a meme i saw once of a, a woman basically trying to mop away uh the the sea on a beach uh-huh. like sometimes that's that's the job as a <laughs> sports that is that's a great way to put it i wish you could find that again because that's how <laughs> yeah. i feel sometimes i'm like Wow, we're still talking about these topics, really, and yeah. Yeah. how do people don't understand, you know. And it's because, like you said, there's so much misinformation out there. Oh well, let's let's do our bit today. Um, so, um, first question I was going to ask you was, uh, how have things um, been in terms of for you? You work with Atlanta Braves, Hawks, and Falcons. Is that correct? Um, this year, I'm working with the Atlanta Braves solely, and then I do have some okay. um, several like NFL players that I work with in a variety of teams, which has been kind of fun. Oh, and it's, cool. it's interesting because I even before I worked with the Falcons, I had a number of NFL players from different teams and players going into the NFL. This year, it's a little bit different because players had that they had to make a decision, like college players. Hey, I can stay for a fifth year and have eligibility and get a better look because we didn't have a season or our season was messed up. So there were a few people who came out this year. So that's been a little bit interesting. Um, the combine prep process has been far fewer athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the interesting thing about some of the off season athletes is that, you know, in the general population, I see that many people, like they overate, they went into these bad habits. There are some people that decided, okay, I'm going to hike, I'm going to work out at home. But you, what's I, what I've seen a lot with athletes is actually it's almost the opposite. Like they've taken this time and gone, hey, I can take a step back and I actually have time to focus on all of these things that I need to do to make sure that I'm well prepared, that I can't focus on 100% during the season. Yeah, I think it's like, this isn't obviously from a nutritionist perspective, but from a training perspective, I just think, especially when you're looking at athletes that are preparing for the NFL or, um, you know, or even just any college athletes, really, they are so like their baseline level of fatigue is always so high. That I, I, I see so many athletes that just never have the time to rest or an opportunity to rest or never give themselves the opportunity to rest. And so when you're forced into it, now we're seeing a lot of training numbers that actually go really high up because that fatigue has finally been removed and they're allowed to you know, break things down into a simpler way. That, yeah, that's a great point. It's, you know, and that's one I hadn't thought of. It's like, Hey, their training load is actually down. Their body can actually rest, repair, recover. And, you know, 
they can perform better. It's amazing. So in the in some ways, this pandemic has actually been a decent, you know, it's actually been okay. Um, it's been, it's done some athletes good in that regard. And the same thing with nutrition. I've seen athletes who like, um, I had one in particular who I was like, you've got to get, you know, got all these stomach issues. You've got, actually got to get off dipping. And he was able to focus on that without the stress of games and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and others who like, they kind of learned to cook. They, they learned to prep food. I had one who he, you know, for years, I'm like, you've got a couple of years. I'm like, you've got to stop with the fast food. Like this has to end. And when he couldn't go to fast food in the beginning of the pandemic, that was, that's what, what it took. It's like, okay, this isn't available. So he made a dramatic change in his body and how he felt. And he's like, yeah, I'm never going back to that. So many positive changes have come out of it. Sure. I think there's a level of sort of anxiety that players like in particular feel when they've got to perform every single week that they don't want, you know, it's some of the advice people always give is like, don't try anything new on game day. But if you're in season, then that leaves you very little opportunity to try anything new, which means it leaves very little room to experiment. And then by which time you never have really time to figure think what can be a lot better because so many things can be a lot better. So many. And like you said, during the season, you just, you don't have the time. You don't have the mind space to be able to get those changes done. Yeah. Um, we, I know of one guy that uh, I sent to preseason. Actually, it was, you know, I think we've had like three pandemics at this point or three waves. I think I sent him after the first or second wave. He, he went to preseason and everyone gave him compliments on how, how well he looked. And there was another guy in the exact same position that had only uh, had been experimenting cooking at home, but because he, he'd been experimenting because he'd discovered a deep fat fryer. So for I think for every good <laughs> for every good one athlete there is that's like learnt these amazing habits which are massively important. I think there are some that have, like you say, like a lot of the general population as well have found found it hard being stuck at home with um, a lot of these snacks and things that are at home. Yes. Have, have have any of your athletes found that to be a challenge? Um, I, you know what's weird is I have not found any specifically. More the biggest challenge they've expressed to me is boredom. A lot of boredom. I do have one football player who he got into the Uber Eats habit. And so we had to take a step back and go, okay, you got to get away from Uber Eats. Let's, you know, let's plan your meals and actually engage with a chef who I can give portions to, et cetera. So you can lose that extra weight finally, Mm -hmm. Um, which probably impacted the injury that he has. But yeah, I think some snack, some snacking here and there, the uh, deep fat fryer, though, that's kind of interesting. Of all the devices out there, like you, you can get an air fryer, you can get an Instapot, you can get a Ninja, and he goes with a deep fat fryer. That's oh, no, the the um, the air fryer is a game changer for a lot of people. Um, I'm it, still yeah, get to get into one because it's so bloody cumbersome. It's cum it's cumbersome, and you know, I tried one and I was not that impressed. But I don't love fried food, so. Um, but there are some people that they just swear by it. They, you know, it's like you said, it's a game changer for them. So you think overall nutritionally wise, the pandemic has sort of helped, help your athletes sort of reestablish what's important. It's helped them. They've, they've gotten a break where I think the American, like the general public has gone, Oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I do with this time? Let me snack. Let me eat all the time and stuff for athletes. It's like, Oh, I can breathe. And then after a while they were bored, but 
it seems like many just refocused and they were able to, you know, recharge and, you know, basically hone in on some of these things that they know they needed to do. And it's like, oh, I finally have time to do this. And have there been any other sort of considerations for, you know, athletes that are in season or have, have had a, I don't know, sort of a sporadic season with the pandemic or anything like that, that you've had to sort of negotiate? Um, I haven't had any that have had really a sporadic season. Um, like, I, I guess that's mainly like the college guys or something. Yeah. But I do think we had to ramp up pretty quickly for certain sports. And so that was a little bit like, okay, everything stopped. And then, oh, all of a sudden we're starting. And, um, you know, more so on the training end, I think, you know, the athletes had to kind of go into things uh, and be evaluated so they didn't increase training load too fast, more so on that end. Yeah. Um, I guess that leads us perfectly into the next question I had for you, which is about what, the, the, you know, because we've got a lot of athletes that are listening to this now that will have just been coming out the other side of the pandemic and hopefully, you know, getting back into team sport. Um, rugby, obviously, in particular, is going to be high contact situations as well. I, I know they've, the governing body has been, they've been trying to sort of um, like slowly walk people into contact, but a lot of clubs have just said, look, we've we've not played anything for over a year now. Don't tell us what to do anymore. <laughs> we want to do some contact. <laughs> So a lot of clubs are just doing like they're going straight, maybe not week one, but they are going and maybe it's like sort of semi-contact, but they are going, you know, as you say, they've, they've ramped up really quickly. So what's some, I guess, dietary considerations that these sort of athletes should be making? I think a big one is that they've got to ramp their calories and protein up, mm -hmm. you know, with their training. So if they've kind of been, you know, training somewhat, but they don't have that same training load, it's time to really, you know, kind of time your meals around your training and make sure you're eating enough, make sure you're eating enough protein, and then make sure, of course, that you're resting enough. And I probably mentioned this study before in rugby players, which I posted on Instagram, where, you know, that day after, like you could have, you know, very high contact day, that day after your calorie needs are still high because your body's still repairing. Like some athletes go, oh, I'm not really doing much. I have a rest day. Let me cut my calories down. Well, you can potentially cut them too much and then you don't repair recover enough by the following day. So um, it's really kind of trying to, depending on if the athlete can and is willing to do it, strategize how much you're eating and when you're eating. Okay. Um, so it's, it's not, so it's, you know, you've because we're always told that we've got to be really taking care of our peri-workout nutrition, you know, pre-post- an intra but I, I know obviously training in general not just workout but often that's like information that's given by supplement companies because the most convenient way to take care of your peri-workout nutrition is to take supplements yes um, you know so go figure that that's what they would say is really really important but you're saying yes take consideration around your workouts but also everything else as well is still still just as important right everything else. And the thing, the biggest thing I find for like football in season, I don't know how this is for rugby, but their days can be so long. Now they're a little bit different with COVID because they get to go home and do things, zoom and stuff, but they have such short periods of time and windows to eat that you really have to take advantage of that and make sure that 
hey, at certain times, I've got to have food that settles pretty quickly. I don't feel like eating, but you do have to eat at that period of time because otherwise the next day your body might feel like trash because you don't have the total calories you need to repair, recover, and to get that energy to actually perform on the field. Okay, so let's touch on that because we it's something that I, I, I notice a lot, even with the pandemic, with people working from home, it's, you know, right, most guys listening to this are not going to be professional athletes, but they will struggle probably because of that even more so to find the time to eat, you know, uh, around their work schedule, uh, busy jobs or whatever, um, moving around. And even on top of that, a lot of uh, guys that listen to this will be training uh, twice a day as well. So do you have any tips for how guys that, uh, is it just a case of being really prepared? I would be prepared and I would make a schedule. So let's take the, let's say there's a rugby player who has a full-time job and it's a full-time job where they're not at their desk and they can't eat all the time. Not to mention with the COVID restrictions, there's probably more restrictions in the workplace about when and where you can eat. Mm-hmm. They need to actually set out a schedule and sometimes eat when they might not be hungry. And I know like there's this whole intuitive eating movement, et cetera. And as I've always said, you can't always intuitively eat with athletics because you're not going to perform as well, right? If, mm-hmm. you know, that rugby player has a two a day and they, you know, have practice, let's say at 10 a.m. and then at 3 p.m., they've got to have something in between. They've got to have something before that 10 a.m. in between and then after, even if they're not necessarily hungry. And then they've got to strategize to make sure they take advantage of all the windows so they're not stuffing themselves at night just to eat, you know, to make up for their total calorie needs. So yeah. planning and preparing on top. Yes. And then obviously stuffing your, your face at night, like that's something that's started to creep up with the more people start to track their nutrition and, um, you know, maybe do the flexible dieting approach, but that will then obviously most of the time negatively affect your sleep as well as impact the recovery, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The thing I've found with athletes that they shove down a lot of calories at night, they tend to feel a little bit more tired during the day and they don't sleep as well. Like it's okay for some people to eat something before they go to bed, but a large meal will interfere with your quality of sleep. For sure. Um, So essentially just be, just be prepared. I think what you said about creating a schedule is um is huge you know um yes. i get I, I try and get guys that i work with one-on-one and i say um we need to like literally write down because most people don't even write down when they train so that sort of sometimes creeps up on them i'm like yeah. we need to write down exactly when you're eating what your big meals are um just to give yourself the time and, and then you i think mentally i don't know if you found this but i think mentally if you plan out when you're going to eat, so, so, so it must be something on a subconscious level, but then you, your body sort of prepares itself and gets hungry for those times to eat. Absolutely. Whereas, is oh, it, yeah. that, is, you found, is that something that holds true in research and stuff? It does actually, if you eat at the same times every day, your body, let's say you eat at 12 noon every day, you eat lunch, your body will start preparing to, for digestion because it expects food at that hour. So that's absolutely true. And I think the schedule can be, um, very important. And also it's not just eating, it's drinking. In fact, there are a couple of athletes that recently, you know, I just through the process of, you know, talking to them, I'm like, I think you haven't had enough fluid. 
here's what we're going to do. Here's how many bottles I want you to have during the day. And they're like, okay, I can put those in my locker. So have X bottles of this, have these at this time, you know, and have these extra drinks. So it's kind of a drinking schedule to an extent. In fact, I wrote one last night, actually, for an athlete hmm. um, to, because days get busy and some people do not have that thirst mechanism that others do. And so they really kind of need to create that habit of drinking at certain times during the day or drinking a certain amount of fluid. So do you set them reminders? Actually, I have a couple that they set their own reminders in their iPhone. Mm. So they set reminders to go, okay, I've got to chug water at this hour. Otherwise, what I do is I'll have I'll number have them number bottles. And if they're at home, they put them in the fridge or out. Like I like water warm. I know some people don't. Um, or if they're, you know, at their facility, they'll put them in their locker. And so they know I have to go through X amount of bottles by this time every day. So they get used to it. Yeah. I, I, I've used the bottle tactic a lot is to get people just to carry around a big bottle. Cause if it's always with you, you know, even yes. if you're just bored, you see it there, you'll take a swig and you keep doing that. And then other people I've, I've given a tactic of, um, we love, I'm not sure your opinion on this, but rugby players love chugging pints. So, why don't we, um, so, so I'll just say, what, what, look, fill up a water and then just chug it. And then you don't have to worry about it. Like, especially the first thing in the morning, that's like, almost universal mm-hmm. advice I'll give is fill up a water and chug it first thing in the morning. Then you, then you're like ahead of the game. I agree. I totally agree. And um, I like that idea, how you translated it because they understand, unfortunately they understand chugging pints. <laughs> <laughs> the other advice I give them is, Hey, if you've got a big Yeti or some sort of big water bottle, drink the whole thing and then fill it up because then at least I know you're getting to the bottom of it one and filling it up versus, you know, kind of filling up intermittently here and there because yeah. I, then you think, Oh, it's still full. I, I, you know, I just filled it up. I drank a lot and that's not always the case. Yeah. It's funny. Cause that's like such this to me, it's a really, it's such a, so obvious and easy way to make sure you're, you're taking care of your hydration um, that people have tried to make an app that represents the same thing. Like the more you drink your water and it has a visual representation of a bottle sort of emptying. I'm like, well, why don't you just actually, just do that. Like, do it. Yeah, <laughs> it seems, it, it seems it, like more resistance to have to check on your phone about drinking water than just drinking water. Oh my gosh, I feel the same way. But it's it's interesting how these little little things can make such such a big impact. Like sometimes yeah. it's the smallest things that make the biggest change with somebody. For sure. Sometimes it's just awareness. But um, speaking of which, um, we, we, you, you touched on um, higher protein needs and. I think athletes are somewhat aware of how much protein they need, but you mentioned that, you know, if they're getting back into contact situations and and just any sort of higher intensity training that that would need to ramp up their protein needs. Now um, let's not go into the game changers telling you, you don't need protein and telling you you need just (laughs) carbs because we've done that already, I think. Um, But we can go into um, exactly why we need extra protein and, and what how much protein that might look like? Sure. So we need protein. We need the actually what we need is the building blocks of protein, the amino acids. I like to think of it as beads on a necklace, like the beads being amino, amino acids and then the necklace being the protein. We need those amino acids to build structures in our body. Mm-hmm. So not just the structure of protein, no muscle, but they help build bone, they help build skin, they help build hair. 
They build those different structures, enzymes, hormones in our body. And so the more contact you have, you're breaking down more tissue. Your body's got to clear out that old damaged tissue and build new structures, new healthy structures. So to do that, our need for protein or need for those amino acids is higher. And I agree with you. I think a lot of athletes have gotten that message. Protein is important. What several still struggle with is that, hey, you've got to have protein throughout the day. Like Mm -hmm. you actually can't sit there and wake up at 11 and not really eat till two and then have another big meal at 10 o'clock and call it a day. You know, it's best to have protein at, you know, at least three for some men, it's up to four or five servings, maybe even six per day to optimize muscle growth and repair. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, do, do you have, um, I said, you say about the amount of feedings, do you have a total daily amount per kilogram of body weight that you recommend? I do. So usually with athletes, I'll start at 1.6 grams per kg body weight mm-hmm. and I'll go up to usually around 2.2, maybe a little bit higher if an athlete's trying to lose weight because their protein needs are higher if they're trying to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really hard for a lot of guys to get that in. It's funny, the guys who have the highest protein needs, the offensive linemen, I always found they did the best job and they did the best job with scheduling because what they do is they're so programmed and you just tell them what to do. And it's almost like taking a medicine. They're just, they shove down shakes or you know, eat whatever if they're not hungry, just to keep because they're so used to having to keep their weight up yeah. that they're very regimented. It's the people that actually weigh less that need less protein that have a harder time with this. But it's it's more it's a harder time. Not physiologically, it's a harder time just because those big guys are just used to whatever it takes to maintain that that absolute size. They are they are, and I think you know for the 210 pound athlete or something, you know, they may go, I don't feel like eating. I'm not hungry. And as I always say, and I know you've said this before, um, being an athlete is a 24 hour job, which means, you know, you kind of, I understand it. There are times I don't really feel like eating, but you have to, you have to feed yourself so you can actually play. Yeah. You you touched on the intuitive eating thing that's coming up quite a lot now. And I think like, that's cool and all, but if you're trying to reach peak performance, like nothing about like, would you train intuitively? What do you feel like doing today? I feel like lying on the couch. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that. I might have to use that. I'm going to quote you. That's yeah. uh, that is a great way to, to put it. It's yeah. Would you train intuitively? Oh, I don't feel like training today or eh, I'll do a little bit of this. I'll do, you know, maybe the elliptical machine. No, that's not going to make you a better rugby player. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's, I've heard a lot about intuitive eating. And I think most of the people who say it's for everybody, they don't work with athletes or they don't work with, you know, other people we think are athletes, whether it's fire, police, combat athletes, you know, the military, oh my gosh, where your life is, you know, your job just to stay alive and keep your, your, your teammates, so to speak alive, but they don't work with people like that because I'm sorry, you just can't intuitively eat all the time. And the ones that do intuitively and succeed, succeed because they have like, that's, they they naturally eat enough to perform. Whereas the vast majority that fail, obviously clearly don't. And it's, it's, it's something that I've, I've dealt with a lot more now is that guys that want to put on size and they just can't like, 
wrap their head around how much protein they have to eat. You know, and, right. and I think it's like just because it's so uncommon, you know, compared to their crowd or whatever. But if you're around a whole group of athletes, like you said, like offensive linemen, they've been doing this since they were, you know, like 12 or something. Like they've been eating a lot and they've been trying to, like if they're offensive linemen in the NFL, you know, they've been eating it like that much for well over a decade now. So it's normal for them. Absolutely. You know, their high school coaches have always been like, just eat, eat anything. And then they learned, hey, I can't eat anything. Like maybe fast food's not the best thing, but they know they have to eat. The other interesting thing I've seen, two interesting points, is when an, a guy in the NFL who's an offensive lineman gets out of the NFL, most of them drop 40 to 50 pounds pretty easily. Like yeah. they go back to, hey, this is what their natural body weight is. It's very interesting. Um to see that. And then the other point about um, intuitive eating is there was a trainer years ago. He said to me about um, people who may have been like overweight. He goes, Marie, their intuitive eating is what got them here in the first place. So no, we have to like teach them what hunger is because their version of intuitive eating is not intuitive eating. So I, I I liked that point because I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. Like, how does that work? You almost have to take them back to those basics and go, no, 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 you don't need to eat at this hour. That's not hunger, you know? Yeah. And I think I understand the intuitive eating movement because it's mostly coined by people who have spent some time using my fitness power, tracking their diet. And they're just a little bit like over the neurotic nature that sometimes it needs. But, But then even then, like, like if I eat intuitively, that just, you know, that, that I'm not really eating intuitively. I'm still doing the same thing. I'm just not logging it on my fitness pal, but I'm still eating meals thinking, okay, that's about 40 grams of protein. That's probably 60 grams. Like I, I know what I'm eating like because of I've done well, like nearly, nearly a, a decade now of, of logging my diet. So I know what I'm wow. doing. You've done that for a decade straight. No, I've taken breaks. I've taken many okay. breaks, but like, it, but what I'm saying is even when I take breaks, right, I still know, like the lessons that I, I learn every time is like, okay, that how much, uh, like I, I know what, how much, you know, 40 grams of protein looks like with, with so many different foods and same thing for bread. I don't know what foods sort of look like. They might be really lying calories, but then creep up on you. For example, uh, granola. Yes. The other thing I like about tracking when talking about is, you know, we always talk calories or macros, but you know, if you track your diet for a couple of days, you can look at it and go, gosh, you know, this person told me to eat more potassium rich foods and I really don't have many in my diet. I really see that now, or hey, I'm not getting enough calcium rich food. So it, it, with the right, you know, kind of education or training, we can train people that here are some of the foods you need for whatever reason. I mean, I have athletes that have high blood pressure. So I've said, Hey, focus on these foods. If they track for a couple of days, they can look and go, I need to do a better job of this. Um, so it's not just looking at calories and macronutrients, but it's looking at those micronutrients as well. For sure. So you're a big fan of getting your athletes to track? I, you know what? I would like some to, and sometimes I do have them track for a couple of days. Many do not. Um, you know, it, it really depends on the person. Some people absolutely will not do it or they won't remember. Um, but I, as I always say, it doesn't need to be anything formal. Just go in the notes section of your phone, write down what you eat, and we can go over it. And that's a lot easier for many of the ones I work with versus the My Fitness Pal or Fat Secret or any of those. They're not going to go to another app, mm-hmm. but they might do that or they might take a picture and send it to me. Yeah, because 
I, I've tried the notes and I've tried just getting people to write it down. But I've often found that even then people just forget. So sometimes oh. I, I like the fact that my fitness power is a little bit awkward because it brings it all, as you say, like a lot of, you know, the, the, the beauty of tracking isn't that all these numbers have to be perfect and that, that treat, treat, teaches you to be perfect. The beauty is, is that, uh, is the less the awareness that it teaches you from like knowing what your current intake is and what you need. Yes. And like you said, it's not for everybody. I mean, there's research out there to, to show that for certain people logging in my fitness pal brings about more disordered eating habits. Um, but that's where, you know, when talking with somebody, we can sit there and go through and, and distinguish, is this right for them or is this not a good approach for them? Um, based on their past history. Have you ever had anyone that you really feel like you need to to get to track their their food and, and has just given you so much resistance that you might have broken through or that you've had to use a different approach? No, I always go with a different approach. If they're, if they're anti-tracking, um, I do think athletes in general are more aware and male athletes will t- tend to tell you what they eat. They're not so... You know, the, we always talk about in research how people don't track accurately and they don't tell you accurately what they eat. You know, you get somebody who's quite overweight and they're like, oh, I only eat 1,200 calories a day, for instance. But I feel like male athletes, they'll sit there and tell you, hey, Maria, I had eight beers last night. Hey, I had, you know, I didn't just eat a pack of gummy bears. I eat the big pack of gummy bears, like the big one. Yeah. Like they'll tell you those things. They're not ashamed, which I just love. It makes it easier to work with them. Um, because then you can, you have something to work with versus somebody who's hiding what they eat. Right. And, and the disconnect with those, with the guys that know what they're eating and are telling you is still, is, isn't that they're lying to themselves about how much they're eating. They just don't really know what the problem is with like, or, or how much yeah. that f- food is in like a caloric value or a yeah, or they just value. don't know how to stop it. You know, sometimes it's, Hey, I feel like I need all this. Why? And like I had this conversation the other day with someone and I said, you know what you need to do is you need to eat more calories earlier in the day. Your metabolism is pretty fast. Let me tell you why you're craving sugar. It's probably part habit. You're used to it. You like sugar. Um, But it's also, you're not eating enough during the day. So the quickest way to get your body fueled and get it energy, if you're craving something is through sugary foods. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it goes to show just that, you know, yeah, the awareness that tracking brings the, the, just, just, I say tracking and it doesn't necessarily mean on my fitness pal, but, but logging your diet, like having an idea of what you're eating. Yeah. It shows habits. Habits like that are really amazing. I found that as well. I found that, you know, I've had a few athletes that have really struggled to get the right amount of protein in. And I realized, all oh, right, you know, you're, you're not having any snacks in the day. So all you've got, you've got to cram in, you know, minimum 2,800 calories or so yeah. in three meals. That's, that's difficult. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And then the other thing, you know, I found, which I thought was amusing at first when I was working with the Falcons that I had many players, I'd, you know, I, cause I would eat breakfast with them and I'm like, okay, your breakfast has like egg whites and spinach and stuff. And you weigh, you know, some of them more than twice what I weigh and look how, look what I'm eating. Look how many more calories I eat. So it was yeah. a visual. And so they could sit there and go, okay, I'm, you know, lifting, I'm going to practice. I'm going through walkthroughs. And yeah, this, you know, here's this female quite a bit smaller than I am. who's eating significantly more calories and food. I'm like, you can't get by on egg whites and spinach. That's not going to do. 
Um, yeah, and then they and then it gets to a point where, like you say, with the sugar, like they just get so hungry. Like I found that people, it happens on both sides. Guys that want to put on weight tend to consistently like struggle to overeat, and then when they you know one day they'll just give up and eat nothing. Versus the guys that want to lose weight, which will tend to undereat, and then they'll they'll get one day they'll give up and and uh, binge. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't undereat that much because you will binge. Um, and like you said, you you've got to you know if you just don't eat, you know that's not a solution either because you know you'll crave sugar. You, it it's just not going to work. Yeah, for sure. Um, so on on that note of tracking, I think something else that gets like neurotic with 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 new uh, sports nutrition in particular is how people sort of they do they call it carb cycling, but you know really it's calorie cycling because they have more yeah. calories. It's it, they're mostly it comes from carbs. Sometimes it's fat, but they're not. And I've seen some people do this. I've seen some people where they they so let's let's tackle this one first. People that. They do carb cycling. They literally do carb cycling. So, if on a couple of days, like maybe non-training days, they lower their carbohydrate amount, but they compensate for it with fat. Is there any any positive use for that sort of uh, way of approaching nutrition? No, that's strange. I, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I don't understand that. That's odd. The the only use case I could see for it is if potentially somewhat, and I've I've never done it. It's it's I'm just trying to understand what people might think you know because i always think there must be some use for something and maybe it's when people like completely i have to under eat fats some days where they're and this must be like professional bodybuilders or whatever that are on like trying to get to sub five percent body fat maybe this is this scenario where they have to put their push their fat so low that it gets to an unhealthy amount that they have to recompensate on those off days that's the only scenario where i could see that you know, it's funny. That's the only scenario I can think of it also, because there are times like I'm sitting there creating a diet and I'm like, Oh, I've got to get them at least 20% fat. And I don't like getting them only 20%, but let's do this for a short period because they've got to lose weight quickly, you know, whoever it is, but they've got to have their carbohydrate. So I agree with you. I think most athletes are not that dialed in unless they are, you know, the most dialed in being MMA fighters and endurance athletes, but many athletes are not quite that dialed in. So it's funny whenever we talk to you about, um, excuse me, nutrition periodization or, you know, carb cycling or any of these topics, um, you know, sometimes I want to say to researchers, you realize that, you know, an athlete who needs 6,000 calories a day is not going to count every gram of carbohydrate and fat. Like Mm -hmm. you do realize that, like that's extremely rare. Um, But we can teach them what to eat and generally you know, the amounts. So they come close to their macro needs. Yeah. And I found that even with, and especially with micronutrients, right. It's like you can rotate, like you're okay with depriving yourself for, you know, with the low, really low calories. Like you can, you can potentially not overthink having to get in every single micronutrient for a couple of periods where you've got that, you know, when you've periodized your nutrition so that you've allowed yourself the room to go that low but then you can yeah for example vitamin d you don't you can store that for i think it's like months at a time if oh you can store vitamin D for a long period of time yeah just like vitamin b12 you can store that for about five years so yeah there's some you know nutrients we don't need 
like you said, you can go a little bit low and then you can kind of make up for it. And then there's some that, you know, we pretty much need daily. Yeah. Hi guys. I just wanted to jump in here to tell you that if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to become a better athlete, then you can go ahead and visit rugby-muscle.com and pick up any of our free goodies. That is uh, the 50 free rugby conditioning sessions, the physique nutrition crash course video series, the supplement guide, and newly added is a macro calculator. Yes, that's right. A macro calculator where you will be able to work out your protein, carbs, fat, and calories that you should be eating on a daily basis to give you a guide as to where to start your diet from. This will help in conjunction with your 50 free conditioning sessions to build you out a decent little plan that will enable you to take control of your training and use effective training and nutrition to become a better athlete. All that stuff and more can be found at rugby-muscle.com or rugby-muscle.com forward slash macros for the macro breakdown. And then the ones that we store and, and just in general, like I feel like that's why it's quite nice to do a bit of dietary periodization is because it just allows you time to really focus because, um, and this is really what I wanted to touch on is the, the awkwardness sometimes of having to change your caloric needs and carbohydrate needs on training days versus non-training days. And you've already touched on that on the days that we don't train or the day, especially the day after a game, like just because you're not moving, it doesn't mean that your color it needs like drastically drop. No, your body's still repairing, you know, especially in a sport like rugby, which is a com, you know, you got that contact sport. It's not, um, you know, it's not baseball. It's not basketball where there might be a little bit of contact, but that contact alone from the research suggests that, Hey, we've got more repairing to do. So our calorie needs are not, you know, it's not that basal that baseline level plus a little bit because we're sitting on the couch all day mm -hmm. yeah i i um actually do that like my protein recommendations we spoke about a little bit earlier like mine are quite high for that reason probably similar to yours um because the athletes i deal with are they're in their collisions but they're also ones that want to build some muscle so like you, you're at the top end of how much protein you need and then also on top of that like I'm the sort of person, particularly when it comes to protein, I feel like, well, it depends on the athlete, but you can go really high if you're someone that want, that get, has a lot of collisions, that trains hard, and also just doesn't want to leave any stone unturned. Maybe you're, you're eating a little bit of unnecessary protein, but you would be a you know a sort of person that would rather eat just a little bit extra than needed than risk not eating enough. I, I absolutely agree. And as long as you're getting your cat, your carbohydrate and fat in, there's no harm to extra protein. You might be wasting some, but even when you talk to researchers who study protein, they'll say, you're always going to have to waste a little bit for us to detect that you've had enough in these studies. So yeah, you might be wasting a little bit. You might be a little bit, the only scenario where that excess protein I've had to manipulate it downward is because it does, you know, keep you full for a longer period of time. So athletes that, you know, need to gain weight, need to gain weight fast. They're usually football players. There are times that I'll cut their proof. Like initially I'll ramp it up because I want them to gain more lean mass than anything, but then I have to cut it back because they just can't get the calories in. It makes mm -hmm. it really hard. And so their weight loss, their weight gain stalls. And then I cut it back a little, add more carbs and fat. And they continue to progress. Nice. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Um, and so I guess I want to circle back to the question um, about the caloric needs on training days versus non-training days. Um, 
as we say, like they're still high on your non-training days, but do you, do you ever recommend any sort of calorie cycling within a week or, or carb cycling within a week? Or, or is that something that you take into account over like a much bigger picture? You know, I do, from? I do. And, um, oftentimes, you know, it depends on the athlete, depends on the sport, et cetera. depends on what they're willing to do. Like that's the yeah. big thing as we both know, it's what are they willing to do? But often it's not so, you know, regimented where it's like everything they're in my fitness power. And okay. I can't have this. I can have this, but instead it's, Hey, on train on the days that you do two days, I want you to have an extra shake here and a snack here. So mm-hmm. it's very easy for them to implement, you know, and here's about what those should look like. So that's very conceptually easy for them to integrate into their plan. And that's my carb or calorie cycling for them. Yeah. Uh, what you said about how it depends on the, the person. So is it, is that just down to their training or is it their personality type as well that um, will oh, we'll base that decision on? Oh, personality type. I mean, training would be great, but it's, you know, as I always say, or I like to think of it, there's a spectrum of athletes. Like, at that top end, we've got the MMA guys and the endurance athletes. I mean, I've had endurance athletes that bring me spreadsheets, like they're engineers or, you know, accountants with these spreadsheets of what they're eating and the micronutrients sometimes in them. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And then on the other end, you know, it's, hey, let me just get this player to eat three times a day. Let's just start there. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a spectrum of, of willingness to change and, and, you know, to improve and, as practitioners, I feel like we have to work with people and I would probably put rugby on that top end of the spectrum. You know, better than I have only worked with some female rugby players, but, and females are totally different than male athletes to work with. But um, I think it depends on the person's personality, what they're willing to do. Yeah. It's what they're willing to do. And it's also, I think what they've done for me, it's what they've done in the past. So if you've got someone that has no history of, being able to control their nutrition, then simply like you need to build those habits and building those habits that were changing what those habits are on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday versus what they are on a Monday, Wednesday. Like that just makes the process so much more complicated. And and then even then, when you think about like, how long is this change happening? It it, like, like you, you've already touched on it a couple of times here, but like when you, when you train, like you're not, making those improvements that you know those uh, adaptations that day or in that hour you're you 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 might have a little bit more needs because you need to have the energy for that hour for for that session but the recovery process is over the following weeks and i mean hell months so it's more important to me that like they get into the the bigger habits over the long period of time uh you know, before worrying about whether they need more food on training days versus non-training days. I just think it's something, like you say, personality type, people that are a little bit on the neurotic or more neurotic side, I think, like to feel like they're more in control. And so if they can keep calories down or if they're someone that just feels like they need to eat a lot more to psychologically give themselves the edge, it's not that they need more. It's that they feel they want to eat more and it's not that they need less on the other days. It's just because they want to eat a big meal before or after their heavy session or because or before or after that two days is different, but before or after their real hard session, then maybe we give them that reward just to push them a little bit harder. But then we also, because of that, take away from the non-training days. But I just think sometimes that makes for 
a little bit more overthinking that, than is really necessary. I agree. I, I, you made three really important points. One being, hey, this isn't the most important thing. Like, let's make sure all these other things are in place. Let's make sure you have a healthy diet. You're eating X amount of times per day. You're meeting your protein needs. You're meeting your micronutrient needs. Let's do all these things. If you really want it, we can, you know, calories cycle after that. But that's not, that's the, you know, the cherry on the top. Let's do everything else that's most important first. And then the other two important points that you made were that, you know, some people need it psychologically. Like you have some athletes and I've had the same thing where they're a little like psychologically, they feel better if, you know, their ducks are in a row, they do certain things. And I've even done this with athletes with supplements. If they really feel they need something for a specific reason and they don't really need it, sometimes I'll give them something that's not going to hurt, might help, or probably won't do much, but I'll give them something psychologically so they feel better about it and they feel relaxed about it. And so, like you said, that's another reason to do it. And then there's a third reason similar to that that you brought up, if I can remember, but basically that, you know, again, those two, those overall concepts, it's not the most important thing. If you really need to do it, okay, we'll give it to you, but learn all these other habits first. Yeah. I think it's one of those forest through the trees thing. It's the same same sort of idea as the it's 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 the peri workout nutrition but instead of changing the like before and during and after the workout we're now changing it to a day and a non-training day it's just yes it's kind of important but is it's not the most necessary um yeah. okay um before we wrap it up I, I sent you the email before um with these questions and so one of the questions is uh, i like this for, especially for nutritionists because it's uh, or dietitians, because this is the area, like, I think more, definitely more so than training, pe- like everyone has an opinion on how, what the perfect diet is or, or, or a new hack for diets or how everyone, you know, and even the most uninformed of people, maybe it's just because we all, it's something that we all do, you know, we all eat. Um, I don't know, but are there any sort of new uh, or or re-emerging stupid diet industry nonsense that uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to vent about? You know, I, I love what you said. There is no one perfect diet. Um, I think the pandemic has brought a lot of immune boosting, a lot of immune support yes, out there, um, which, you know, it's a way to sell things. Just like you said, the peri-workout nutrition, it's like, let me sell these super high vitamin C, you know, all these things that no, these are not going to prevent COVID. Um, you need to, you know, to prevent getting sick, you need to wash your hands, maybe not be around people that are sick. Mm-hmm. So that become a huge industry. And then, you know, the other thing I see, which is it's progressing way, way faster than the science is CBD. And I'm not against CBD, but the science is not there. It's not only that we don't have enough research on it, but if we look at CBD and compared to, THC for pain. I'm sorry, but THC is better. And I'm not promoting marijuana. Don't get get me wrong here. I've never smoked. I've never eaten it or whatever. Um, it does have, it is efficacious for pain. That's why, you know, there's medical marijuana and stuff. There's um, mm. good research on that. But my point being that, you know, all these creams, et cetera, first of all, there's not a lot of CBD in a lot of them. Yeah, so it's massively just, underdosed, right? Massively underdosed. And then there are, you know, is it the full spectrum? Is it not the full spectrum? Do we need the full spectrum? There are all these questions that we haven't figured out yet. And yet people, you know, it's almost like 
emotion takes over. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to get that. Well, why? What do you need it for? Do you even have pain? It's a lot of non-athletes. You know, I'm like, what do you have pain from? You don't work, you don't work out. You know, is it from sitting too much? Um, so it's almost like the CBD everything, which I think is ridiculous. Those are the two biggest things that I've seen. Yeah, the C- CBD one is is one that like you'll get people that are very smart that swear by it, and it's like that's good because you know you people yeah you want people to be feel better, but I can't help but think like it's it's like everything with recovery, right? It's it's if you feel better, then you're going to recover better, um, yep. and if you feel better, even with a placebo you're still feeling better. And so is it, you know, is it wrong to get people to spend money on a placebo? Probably, but uh, yeah, I feel like it's, it's difficult to, especially if someone tells you that they're feeling better, it's, it's, I find it like banging my head against a brick wall to tell them, well, this is actually massively underdosed. And I don't know, really know if this one drop on your tongue really is going to do anything. <laughs> you know, I feel the same way, but the, like you said, the placebo effect is powerful. If somebody just believes that they can feel better, by golly, maybe they can, or maybe they, maybe that brings them to a behavior where they, you know, take recovery into, into account, or maybe they eat a little bit better. Maybe it's a domino effect where they do something and that's why they feel better. Yeah. And again, it's just, I guess it's the CBD is like the new thing in the, in the supplement industry, which is just massively over uh, lucrative compared to the value that actually provides. Hundred percent. Yep. It's it's so exciting for people. I mean, I've had back in the more advocate days. I remember an athlete that come, came with a suitcase or a backpack full of stuff, and I thought, oh my goodness, what is this? And he was a Duke athlete, a football player, and somebody at the school had sold him um, all that stuff. And I'm like, how is this allowed? And yeah. all of this, I'm talking about underdosed. I'm like, well, this. I remember one of the bottles, I'm like, you need, this whole bottle really is two servings based on an efficacious dose. So you can take it per serving, like it says, but it's not going to do anything. Yeah, it's like I the um, BCAA um, yeah. tablets that you literally have to take a uh, hundred of or something like that. And they're all huge. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. It's I think it's, it's, it, yeah, it's just, I look, I look on it and I'm like, I guess it's it's one of the evils that's kind of necessary because the, I think the supplement industry, I can't remember where I read it, but they plunge so much like money into investment for fitness stuff. Like, So they're kind of needed. Like, I don't know how much they sponsor a lot of the, um, you know, the big sports franchises as well, but like they do help out. But the how how lucrative that business is compared to the value, I just yeah, I can't wrap my head around it. I know, yeah. I think there's only a few sponsorships. MLS, I think, is sponsored by they were sponsored maybe by Advocate or Herbalife. But um oh, yeah, Herbalife, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but teams rule. We can go on about Herbalife, but teams do generally stay away from a lot of that stuff, I think. But yeah, they're the value is not there for a lot of supplements and a lot of supplement companies, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, indeed. Um, one last question I, I was just thinking about that um, I've been told a lot and I, I'd love to know your opinion because, well, I'll give my opinion on it after, I guess. Um, but sometimes I get the question and I've seen it a lot recently. Like people ask me, what's the perfect meal? If you could look for a, the, the most perfectly nutritious meal, what would that look like? Gosh, there is no perfect meal, but yeah. 
with that being said, you would choose really high nutrient dense foods, things like oysters, um, liver, liver is chock full of nutrients. Mm -hmm. If I ever want to, you know, in grad school or in undergrad, we had to kind of, you know, create this diet that met all the micronutrients in a day. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is really hard within the caloric limit, but things that are really nutrient dense beef, you know, you've got iron, zinc, um, eggs, you've got high choline. So you, you choose these foods that have nutrients that are not in high amounts in a lot of foods. And I would make, you know, and obviously put in a lot of vegetables and some fruits and, and, um, you know, omega-3 fatty acids to make that well-rounded, but that's how I'd create a perfect meal or perfect day. I'm sorry, but that tastes gross. What well, we're going to have beef <laughs> and oysters <laughs> and, uh, and fruit hey. and vegetable. Oh I mean, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, my parents used to make us eat liver when we were kids and I'm like, oh, and now I, I don't eat it because I don't like it, but I appreciate how nutrient dense it is. For sure. Um, yeah. I, I always wonder what dietitians say to this question because it's, it's what you said, just go for really good nutrient dense foods is obviously the answer, but there is no, there is no one meal because everyone's needs, as you yeah. said, sort of differ. So, no okay, meal. cool. Um, what does sports nutrition look like in 20 years time? Will I think you be involved. I would hope so. And I think sports nutrition in 20 years will become more individualized. So we're seeing more of these tests, whether they're blood tests, stool tests that are really exciting. Some of them are not there yet as far as the research or you know, what do they tell us? But I also think in addition to becoming more individualized, there will be better integration between sports nutrition and analytics. So right now we're barely scratching the surface, but if we can put all these things together, um, you know, and I envision this huge like board or something, we can kind of get a picture of an athlete and what will best help them and what's the best bang for our buck as far as what do we tackle first? Because again, there are some athletes, like I always say, there are some I can give, you know, 10 things to do and they'll do all of them. And then there are some that, Hey, Marie, no, I'm not doing that. Um, which I always appreciate. I always tell them straight up. I'm, I, I love how direct, you know, people can be. And, but that's what I see. I see the individualization and then greater integration into analytics. Yeah, I think the individualization also, you, you touched on it there, like definitely comes to a, some sort of model of more personality types as well because it's not, it isn't just a case of, uh, what's what's that few, is it Huel? The, there's a powder that you can just drink or eat now that's like supposed to be perfectly balanced, but, oh, wow. you know, just meal replacements in general, like, we thought they'd be the answer, but they don't really work. You know, it, it depends on what people want to eat and stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, it's funny when we think about meal replacements, like, you know, in the military, they give these rations, meal packs that try to, you know, meet your nutrient needs. I mean, we think about it for babies or clinical nutrition, you know, we, people can sustain their life and get all their nutrients from a, you know, clinical nutrition, basically formula. So we could possibly do that, but you know, bring into, you know, the sick patient, that's what they're doing in a hospital bed or a nursing home. But with people, there are those factors. What are they willing to do? What do they want to cook? Finances. There are all these different factors that you and I have to take into account when we're working with somebody because 
it's not just, hey, here's the research translated. It's, good gosh, how do I figure, how do I fit this into this complex situation that's a person? And then also the training team and coaching. We've got to fit that in the best we can, you know, while taking everything into account, the whole picture. 100%. Um, okay. What's one song everyone needs on their gym playlist? Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. I'm terrible with music. I'm awful. What? Tell me your one song. Oh, hmm. I I would say, is it Cindy Lauper? Girls just want to have fun. No way. That's not your one song. It, it is because I think if you can lift perfectly well to that, then you know what you're doing when you're lifting. <laughs> like I've had a few people recommend Silence, or and I think some. Yeah. Um, I think I've. I, I might have stolen that one from a friend Kier as well, but like, I, I always think like, or classical music, like if you can just listen to no music, like you shouldn't, like if you have to, if you have to listen to Eminem, lose yourself to get yourself prepared to, to lift, like you're not prepared to lift. I'm sorry. I'm glad you said that because people are always astonished that I don't lift to any music. I, if I'm at a gym, I'm not lifting to music and I'm at home. I don't lift to music because I can do cardio to music, but I like to concentrate on what I'm doing and think about my movement, um, breathing. So I actually don't like music and I definitely not don't like headphones on when listening. I actually like, the only reason I like headphones is when I'm in a public gym and like the music selection is just, it's worse than silence. So yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I just say, who's in, who's in charge of this music? Yeah, that's, and it's repetitive. Like, there are songs I may hear and I'm like, oh, that reminds me of LA Fitness because that's all they play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking about I, it when I used to work in the gym. I'd be like, I'm, I'm going to shoot myself in the head if I hear this song again. <laughs> yeah, I wish there were little earbuds that really blocked out music. If you know of any, please let me know. Oh, well. um, I feel like it's the big beats things. Those are the only things that really block out the, the horrible music. Uh, it's But then I'm going to cop out and give my, my true answer here would be uh, – Metallica, sad but true as well. Because sometimes you do need to listen to some heavy metal. And not even in the gym. Um, cool. So this has been great. Uh, Marie, how can uh, listeners that have, like, I'm not the, just the ones that have listened to this and loved your information. I think everyone that's listened to this have, has got a ton of value. And I've been seeing that you've been more active than ever on your Instagram. So um, are there other ways that people can follow you and, and get in touch? Yeah. So um, Instagram's a great way. Twitter, Marie Spano, my blog, which will, it's being revised now. So that'll be, um, uh, you know, I'll be blogging a lot more. So with more information. So for instance, when I post on CBD on uh, Instagram, I'll have a longer, you know, more in depth post on about that on my blog here soon. So that's just mariespano.com. That's cool. Yeah. I found, I found it, it's, it's difficult because sometimes like, I, I can put, I can use the whole, I think it's like 2000 characters or whatever they allow you on Instagram, yep. write a deep blog post and, and no one reads it. I just think no one's really reading this. Everyone's just looking at whatever the picture is. If it's funny, they'll, they'll double tap or if it's interesting, they'll double tap, but it's, it's, it's nice to keep things away. Like I think that's a really good idea, you know, yeah, use I think your Instagram to drive them to like a more deeper level of information. Yeah, because there are, I think there are many people who just look at it, like my nephews, they'll look at it and just double tap anything and they don't read. Um, and then there are people who, you know, if they really are interested in that topic, they do read. So we're reaching 
you know, some of those people. And then uh, obviously if the picture is good enough and it says, you know, can, you know, the graphic can tell everything that's helpful as well. Yeah. Okay. So guys go follow her, especially on the Instagram. Like I've, you've, you've, you've done a really good job with the, the graphics recently because I, I tend to get not frustrated, but I see the same graphics over and over and over again of like, uh, eat this, not that. And it doesn't really make sense. Whereas, um, yeah. your, your, the context you put to everything, it's, it's really well done. So yeah, definitely guys go follow her. Thank you so much, DJ. No, and thank you for coming on. Uh, this has been absolute, uh, pleasure. It's been wonderful. I always enjoy talking to you. It actually brings up new ideas. I, I sat there thought during the conversation, Oh, these are great ideas to ta- tackle in a bigger blog post or Instagram post. Excellent. And I'll expect all of the, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, treasury? No, I I don't know. Just tag me. Just give me some credit. Would you? That's all. I I, I absolutely will. (laughs) Thank you, Marie. It's been great coming on and, uh, yeah, I've, I've had a good time. Thank you, TJ. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode of the Robbie Muscle Podcast, then I've got a quick little request and a potential prize giveaway for you. If you do said request. All I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and type up a five-star review. Just your general opinions of the podcast would be great feedback, but also helps us reach higher rankings, get more exposure, allow me to attract more guests and devote more time to developing a better all-around podcast experience for you. All you have to do once again is go and give us a five-star review on whatever podcast service you use. Let me know that you've got it. And then every single week, I'll be selecting one review to give away a free prize. That free prize will be either one free month of Team Rugby Muscle. That's our world-class strength condition program app delivered directly to your phone. Or if that doesn't interest you, then we've got one free consultation where I'll, I'll go over your training program, your nutrition, and advise you how to best plan for your goals. Even if none of those things interest you, it's still doing me a solid and helping the podcast grow by going and giving us a five-star review. There's no real excuse. It takes like one minute and that helps the show out exponentially. So I'd really appreciate if you could do that. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you in the next one.